that someone important was coming to occupy your space. Uh, thank you, whoever shouted me down. There we go. Whether, you know, we experience this with the holidays, whether it's like a visit from uh, a good friend from out of town, or maybe it's somebody who has arranged to have a longer stay. Um, I've been one of those uh, to my parents, and that kind of thing. Or maybe, you know, it's a special meeting that's coming up. Whatever the case may be, I'm willing to bet you had to make some preparations, didn't you? And I remember this one time I asked Angie to go see a sunrise. It's a very special moment in our life because uh, we'd gone to school together. We'd been friends for years. We'd started hanging out probably for about six months to a year leading up to this invitation. But this was a moment where I was going to get to define the relationship with Angie, what us young kids called a DTR for define the relationship. And so this was no ordinary sunrise. This was no ordinary moment. And so I had to plan for it. And at the time, I was not much of a planner, but I did my best. And so I asked her, step one, she said yes. So here we go. And so then I decided, okay, where's a good place to go see a sunrise? We were living in the Portland area at the time. And so I asked my friends and they said, oh, well, Crown Point in the Gorge, that's a really good place. And so I said, great, I've never been there, but here we go. So I looked up what time the sunrise would take place and I mapped out my route because I didn't really travel that much at the time. Um, That's another story for another time, but here we go. So I, I mapped out my route and how long it would take and the timing. I cleaned out my car, which was a chore inside and out. I deep cleaned it so much I even used Windex on my windows. I didn't just trust the car wash to make it happen. Um, I got all cleaned up. I got um, my nice polo on at the time um, and got all clean shaven. I had my long coif hair. It was really awesome. But so I got all ready to go take Angie on the sunrise. And I prepared the way so that there would be no obstacle between her and me for this woman that I love so that we could hopefully, for all hope, I wanted to be in this relationship with her more than just as friends, right? Now, we also see this in our society today. Like, imagine, and forgive me, but imagine if the president came to town and he decided to announce this and say, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to go have lunch down on Bay Street. I'm going to be here in town. I want to meet the people of Florence, Oregon, right? Now, whatever your political leanings may be, I'm not here for that this morning. However, I'm willing to bet all of us would pitch in and we would try to clean up the town to put our best foot forward, right? We would do our best to prepare the way for the president to come. So a lot of times when cities do this, you fill in any potholes that may be there so that, you know, the car ride is smooth. You also, you do different things like you make sure that you send the street sweeper through, you pick up garbage, you, you know, put a fresh coat of paint. I remember how, uh, well, just recently, you all made me feel special by putting a fresh coat of paint on the outside of the church. 
And I felt very, very privileged at the time. And so, uh, but we prepare the way. Why do we do this? Because we're trying to make sure there's no obstacle. We make sure it's the easiest way possible for that dignitary, that person of special importance to come through and so we can experience them. And we could spend all day just brainstorming different applications of this. We're not here for that today. But I think on some level, we all experience this every day. Even the kids this week for school, I mean, my kids, I made sure they took showers. They had their best clothes on. Uh, Some of the kids on the street, you know, even if it was a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt, it's their best one that they have. It's clean, right? It's gone through the laundry. It smells nice, right? Uh, So that they can uh, go to school and have friends. But uh, we also see this in the Bible. And this morning, I want us to explore what the Bible has to say about how we prepare the way for us to have an experience with God. So the title for today's message, uh, Rich, you can go to the next slide. Richard, here we go. No, next one. Yeah, there we go. Is uh, prepare the way. I'm, this is my first week with PowerPoint. Do you guys like this? I like it. So uh, the title for today's message is prepare the way. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter three. And the big idea we're looking at today is that through repentance, we are made ready to experience the kingdom. Through repentance, we're made ready to experience the kingdom. We have been going through this series called The King of the Kingdom, where we've been taking a closer look at the Gospel of Matthew and what he has to say about Jesus and the claim that he has that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior that was promised throughout all of scripture that he was the king that god had was planning to send all along to set all the wrong things right all the broken things to make them whole again we learned our first week some of the character that goes into who jesus is and by looking at his family tree that's how people would do that back then so you'd look at who they're related to and you'd kind of relate them together And so we learned that as Jesus is this person who's supposed to bring salvation, he doesn't really, he has a few really good people in his family tree, but then there's some people that you might not want to mention in your family tree. Um, You can go back and listen to that on the podcast. But um, enough to say that he wants to bring salvation to each and every one of us, wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you've been it matters where you're at today he wants to meet you today in this moment with salvation and so our second week we discovered how with jesus we experienced god's saving presence and that how true that became for jesus mother mary and her fiance joseph it was a scandalous thing Go listen to it. Last week, we looked at the wise men from the East, those magi who found that Jesus was worth the journey because Jesus inspired them to wonder, uh, who fulfilled them through worship, continued their witness, and ultimately led them in his way of rescue. 
where things left off in our story is that Jesus was still a kid. He had just come back from the land of Egypt, and his family settled in a city called Nazareth, which was in the region of Galilee, which is quite a bit north of the town he was born in, Bethlehem. It's like Bethlehem's down here, and Nazareth is all the way up there. So around the time, though, that Jesus was an adult, we find that there was this spiritual awakening taking place in the land of Judah. There was this movement happening, and the voice of this movement was this guy named John. And we read about in the Gospel of Luke that John actually happens to be Jesus' cousin. And since John was a baby in the womb, John had a call on his life to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. His parents, they had some different poetry. It's all in the Gospel of Luke. You can read about it sometime. But they had poetry, prophecy, all these things saying about how John would prepare the way. And so when John became an adult, around the same year line that Jesus was, his message was very simple. It was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Which is another way of saying, the kingdom is now. The kingdom is, like, it's not just some far-off thing in the future. It's happening right here, right now. It's just, it's like, we are right before the dawn. It's get ready, basically, right? So, we're going to see through our passage that through repentance, we are made ready for the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. If you'd like to follow along with me, I also have it digitally up on the screen for you as well. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
I baptize you with water, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize them. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Mm -hmm. The first thing we learn from our passage is that we are prepared by an inner change. We're prepared by an inner change. For just a moment, I want to lift out a word that shows up at the start of verse 2, and that's the word repent. Because I think sometimes we might get a funny idea and maybe a half idea of what this word repent means. We hear this a lot in Christian culture and in the church today. Repent, it's a word that shows up in the Bible. It's something that, you know, Jesus eventually said the words repent and so it's kind of like a jesus word but it's also a word that gets uh wielded and used in different public demonstrations on sandwich board signs and big banners and parades and there's inevitably somebody nowadays with a megaphone shouting to people repent because that's going to win people over and you know so it's kind of this loaded word and so we need to kind of look at it with fresh eyes. One way of looking at the word repent, which is probably the most common way of looking at it, is that it's like you're walking one way in one direction, and then something happens, like looking at the light on this projector screen, and then you start going the other direction. But that's not the whole picture. When we encounter God and his goodness, we are made acutely aware of the lack that is the human experience without God and how our efforts don't measure up to his glory and the standard of God. Rich, you can go to the next slide. The encounter here is the place where we're introduced to our need for God's mercy and kindness. The encounter is where God offers us grace because of his saving work and what he has done. The work that we could never do enough to earn on our own efforts. The encounter is where we find hope. But the encounter, or what I'm labeling the encounter, is not in itself repentance. The encounter is just a revelation of who God is, 
what God has done, and the offer of relationship with him and what we gain from that encounter. Because it's in the wilderness of our souls that God is speaking his grace and his life into ours. So there's two ways we can respond when we have this encounter. The first is that we can reject God. I believe from the beginning, God gave humanity a choice. He gave us the right to choose. He gave us free will. And so at a core level, God has given us an opportunity either and and freedom to choose him or to reject him. He's not going to make you have a relationship with him. You get a choice. And in the place of encounter, we find that the ball is in our court. God's already made his choice. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. The question is whether or not you're going to respond and choose to enter into that experience. The second way of response is to repent, which begs the question, what does repent actually mean? To repent is this picture of changing one's mind. That when you come to the awareness and the realization of some kind of subject that you make a change in your life. The Bible uses this word repent as kind of a two-part meaning. So it's kind of like you're walking along, okay? Same image as before, but then you have this moment where you realize something and then you change your mind and then you start going back the other direction. And so... John the Baptist gave a commanding invitation to engage in this regular practice of changing your mind because it's that transformation that happens on the inside, that changing of the mind that is where we are walking away from God through whatever, however we're living our life, but then we become aware of God's goodness and his kindness towards us and that leads us to then go and change our mind and start heading back towards him. And so John gives us this invitation that our response would be to repent. And by that inside change, that inner change, we would be prepared for what God is going to do in and through our lives. That's why Matthew references in Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5, if I think it's up on the screen there, Uh, It says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for Yahweh, make a straight highway through the wilderness for our God, fill in the valleys and level out the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places, then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all people will see it together, Yahweh has spoken. It's kind of like that dignitary coming through town where you fill in those potholes, you, you clean off all the excess that's not supposed to be there, and you make a straight way for that dignitary to come through. Repentance tears down every obstacle and it fills in every gap between us and God. And so repentance actually becomes an instrument of our healing, our, our inside healing, what's inside of us that's 
broken or that's hurt that needs healing. And it also serves as a means of receiving the cleansing from God's grace. After the encounter of God, we experience his love and we become walking testimonies of all that God has done inside of us. And that testimony then speaks to everyone we meet saying, look how good my God is. How his mercy triumphs over judgment. I repented and he forgave me. And not only that, but through that experience, I have tasted and I have seen that my God is good. You can't take that away from me. That I have seen the goodness of God in my life. And so we receive that. We not only just have that encounter where we're met with the glory of God and that encounter of God's goodness, but then we experience it for ourselves and we actually engage with it through repentance and we then have an inside change. And through repentance, we are made ready for God and his kingdom. Matthew 3 also teaches us that we are prepared with an outward sign. Richard, you can go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, People from all over the country, they were going uh, to the wilderness to see and hear what John had to say. And in that place, they did have a change of mind. And they went on to confess their sins to John, uh, the baptizer. They were made clean from the inside through that repentance and then outside through this sign of baptism similar to how I cleaned my car from the inside out when I went to go see my sunrise with Angie. The Jews got their souls detailed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit through John's message, and they were ready for God's kingdom to be established in their hearts and in their world. But then the religious elite come along, the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees weren't weren't fair, and the Sadducees were sad. So there you have it. Um, They came out to see what all this hubbub was about. What was John doing? What was John saying? We want to know because we're control freaks. And so, um, so they go through this, and John catches wind of this, and he lights into them. I mean, his first words to the Pharisees and Sadducees were, you brood of snakes. Guys, if a preacher ever comes at you with that language, watch out. He's about to breathe fire on you. And so, I mean, but in this exchange, we find in verse 8 this amazing challenge. It really, it challenged me this week. When I started doing my study, I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta get this passage for myself. I need to find out what God's speaking to me. And this verse challenged me in verse 8 where John says to them, prove by the way you live your life that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. This was a challenge directly given to these religious know-it-alls, these people who were, who, who they prided themselves so much at their outward righteousness, what they could show of how right they were. 
They were people who aligned their behaviors so much to the letter of what God's word said, and then they wrote things about it in interpretations, and then they aligned themselves to that specific interpretation. They were relentless at trying to make sure they did not break God's covenant or God's law. And so they did that, but then they totally missed it. We read in Isaiah 29, it says, uh, the Bible says this about people like the Pharisees and Sadducees. These people are my, say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. The problem that John calls out for this group is that they have an integrity problem. They, I mean, they do all this religious stuff. They, they worship correctly. They follow this letter of the law, but they're still missing one thing. They are missing an actual true relationship with the God that they claim. That's the difference here in this passage between the religious and the repentant. But the challenge goes for both groups that we must live down our testimony by living up to the repentance that we claim. That's good, and I'll say it again, that we must live down our testimony by living up to the repentance that we claim. And when the confession of our hearts aligns with our outward faith response, the result is an honest proclamation and then we, that we are prepared for the king and his kingdom. Repentance and a sign of baptism are necessary responses that engage all of who we are with all of who God is. But the waters of baptism, they may be cathartic, they may feel cleansing, like you're getting a fresh start, clean slate, let's just wipe away all the sin and let's just clear the way and you feel really good, but the water is not what saves you. Getting wet with water is not what saves you any more than the elements of communion, however conveniently wrapped. (laughs) They do not save you. Only your relationship with God saves you. Only faith in God saves you. I think I have another verse up there from Ephesians 2. Maybe it's just the next slide. Uh, I'll read it. Okay. For by grace you have been saved. Paul is writing this to a church in Ephesus. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In faith, the repentant agree with God, and they admit their guilt to him and their need, and the rite of baptism becomes a sign of their repentance. But the truth is, ultimately the outcome of repentance is a changed life. Because if we have encountered God and we have actually entered into that experience and we have that change on the inside, then what we naturally do is we embody that change. That you are different today than you were yesterday. 
that you still might be backsliding. You still might be engaging with that habit that's tearing you and your family apart. But still, you are fighting inch for inch because you are repenting and you're continuing to repent because you believe that God is worth it. And so even though you may be tempted to keep walking away from God, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and I'm going to turn myself back to God. And that might be a daily thing for you. And I pray to God it is that it would be something that is ongoing. That's the way that verb in that, that, I mean, that's getting really nerdy and whatnot, but that's the way that the word repent, that's the connotation of it, that it wouldn't just be a one and done kind of thing. That you're not just like, oh, well, I confess my sins back there, so I'm good. No, it's a thing that you still have to do today, whether you're set apart and sanctified or not. You still have to confess your sin. You still have to repent today. And you don't have to do that to me. You don't have to do that necessarily to the brother or sister sitting next to you. You need to do that to God through prayer and admit to him that you have all this gunk inside of you. And then he will help you change the inside with his grace. And it's that faith that ultimately leads you to embody that. So let me ask you, where is that hitting you right now? Where is that kind of word touching you in your life right now? Your faith is not something that you can just inherit from somebody. I mean, the passage is pretty clear about that. John didn't mince words. (laughs) It's not something you're born into. It's not something you inherit. It's not something you're grandfathered into. Your faith is a choice that you make to participate in the encounter with God and the changing of your heart and mind in His direction. What outward signs are shown in your life? Do they show that you're prepared for God and His kingdom? Or are you just playing religion games? the invitation inside of John's rebuke is to embody true repentance as an outward sign. Because it's through repentance that we are made ready for the kingdom. The third thing we learn, final thing in our passage, we are prepared to live a new way. We are prepared to live a new way. So, National sweeping revivals happening here in the nation of Judah. John's baptizing people. And people are getting themselves ready. They're preparing the way. And it's in that moment in history that Jesus chose to show up. To show himself to people as the Messiah. And it's in that time when people were choosing to identify with God through this act of baptism, that Jesus, who chose to identify with us, by the way, decided to show up and decided to reveal himself to everybody. Now, what I find interesting is that Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. Picture that. Somebody in all of human history did not sin. They did not engage 
with the habits and hang-ups that you and I do in our world today. Now, I mean, he experienced hurt in this life because he was fully God and fully man, and yet he did not sin. I mean, shoot, if, if one of my kids gets hurt, they cry about it. I mean, they, they'll hunt you down. <laughs> it's, it's rough. I mean, they hunt each other down, and that's the thing. But my point is, is that imagine somebody who's perfect. He did not need to be baptized. He did not need to repent of any sins because repenting is like, so I'm going in this way and I'm, you know, choosing to live this certain way. But then in repentance, that acknowledgement, that change of mind is saying that I was wrong. And now I need to go back to God and turn myself back to him and keep going in his direction, in his way. Jesus did not need to do that. So what's going on? Jesus was identifying with you and with me. The people who need to repent, the people who need to be baptized. This king was taking it a step further, not just having his family tree, but he's saying, look, I identify with you. I am going to step into your place and take the punishment for your sin for you. And so, in this experience that Jesus has of baptism, he's inaugurated as our Messiah. And in verse 16, we read that Jesus was baptized. The heavens open up. It's an amazing picture. And the Holy Spirit comes down and settles on him like a dove. Through Jesus' baptism, I believe Jesus showed us the start of what it looks like to live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because he gave up his God card. He, he emptied himself of his glory. That good passage in Philippians, I think it's Philippians 2 or something, where he, he emptied himself of his glory. Even though he was fully God, he said, I'm not going to play by that rule. I want to actually fully identify with them. But he did his ministry, he did his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about next week how Jesus was tempted and how he overcame those temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so through this example, we get this glimpse of how Jesus prepared us to live a new way. And that through repentance, we are prepared to experience God and his kingdom. And so today, please don't misunderstand me. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. It's not things that you do. The challenge that was given to the Pharisees was not just to do another thing, but to actually be who you're saying you're going to be. To actually be that repentant person. To be that person who has that changed mind and is heading in the direction of God. As we come to the table this morning, I know it's, it's awkward, it's strange, um, but we take the bread and we take the cup as a reminder of all that Jesus did for us. So let's just take a moment 
and with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to do anything like raise hands or anything. That's another day and time or whatever. But, but I just want to invite you, you know where you're at. You know what's standing between you and God. Whatever mountains in your way, whatever gap might be there caused by sin or anything else. I invite you to confess your sins to God right now in prayer. Then we're going to read a scripture and we'll pray and take the elements together.